0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. And it is so uh, good to be with you on this Sunday. Happy Sunday. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm super excited to be with you here today. And I'm most excited to bring this word uh, as the second installment in our February series entitled 21st Century Temples. And you know, to God be the glory, because uh, as Pastor Ricky Jr kicked it off last Sunday, it was so good. What a wonderful, wonderful message. Uh, listen, I super encourage you i don 't know what else, what other word to use. I highly encourage you to go back if you haven't heard it if you were not at church on Sunday last Sunday. Um, or if you didn't get an opportunity to hear it on our podcast or YouTube channel, go back and take a listen to that message. He entitled it, Preserve the Temple. And it was such a good message, such an on-time message, and a fantastic way to kick off our series this month. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and do that. For those of you that are listening and you don't know where to find us, you can find us on YouTube at Word of Faith, Um, Global Ministries, Miami, Florida, Uh, you could visit us on our website and you can get all the information there at wordoffaithglobal.org. But I'm super excited to be with you uh, today, you know, in the artwork of our series, which I know that those of you that are there at church have seen the artwork and you've seen it throughout our social media outlets. Um, The picture that you see there is actually a picture of the Temple Mount. Uh, in Jerusalem, and what it appears like or what it looks like today. Uh, The dome, the gold dome that you see up at the top, for those of you that may not know, that is the Islamic shrine of the Dome of the Rock. And many of you are very familiar with some of the teachings that we have given in the past about it, but in this place, in this temple mount area, as a matter of fact, where you see that dome of the rock, the Islamic dome of the rock, currently, it is where Solomon's temple, later named Herod's temple, stood for, for many, many years, and as Jesus predicted in the New Testament, as you know the story, the temple was actually destroyed in 70 AD, so I wanted to give you uh, just a little bit of a description as to why we used the picture that we used for our artwork. This uh, series entitled uh, "Preserve," uh, I'm sorry, uh, "21st Century Temples." I'm still thinking about Pastor Ricky Jr.'s message uh, last week. I don't want you to miss uh, next weekend as well. We will be with you. As a matter of fact, as you all know, we have a really exciting month in the month of February. Pastor and I share birthdays together. We share um, our anniversary together. But we're going to actually be there next weekend. So I don't want you to miss uh, coming. Pastor Ricky is going to be bringing uh, the message. Anyway, I want to go right into it this morning. I have several things I want to share with you. I want to begin in the book of Genesis. So let's go there in the book of genesis and we're actually going to start my my bible here is kind of like falling apart. I've been wanting to get a little cover for it, but I don't know. I mean, it's kind of falling apart here the pages. Um so let's see if I can manage it by holding it up here. I was going to type it all out, but it would have been too long. I want to go to Genesis chapter 3. How many of you like going all the way to the beginning, right? So that's what we're going to do today. So go to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 21, and we're actually going to go ahead and pretty much read the entire chapter of chapter 3. So are you ready? All right, let's 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 get right into it. I'm going to read actually from the NASB, NASB version of the Bible, but you go ahead and follow along in the Bible version that you've got. And it says the following, <clears throat> clear my throat a little bit here for you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I can tell you something right now. As I read these scripture verses, I wish I had time to go through each and every one of these verses with you today. But for the sake of today's message, that's not what it's about. But there's so much in this story. Let's move on. So it says here, um, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it fruit and ate. And she also gave, she also, she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. I want you to underline that. And as the Lord leads, you can underline different other uh, verses and and words. But underline this one for now because we're going to touch on it in a moment. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And then it says in verse 8, They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord uh, God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to me, uh, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Let's go to verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? What is this that you have done, he says. And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, now listen closely to these verses. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Verse 17, then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying, you shall not eat of it,' from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20. Now the man called his his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments, listen to this, underline as as well. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Verse 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. A lot in there that I don't have time for. Today, but watch this, verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim cherubim, cherubim, and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. So that, in essence, is the story in chapter number three of The Fall of Man. Many of you have heard it. Many of you have heard preachings on it. And perhaps one of these days I'll do maybe a table talk session or perhaps a Wednesday night live stream with a little more uh, depth uh, in those verses. But I entitled today's message to go along with our, ti- with our series title, A New Dwelling Place. A New Dwelling Place. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus... I ask you Lord to use this vessel, I am yours. I ask you Father that as you've given me this message, you will allow me to portray exactly what you want to these individuals that are hearing this message this morning in our congregation, online, whether they'll hear it now or later, Father. I pray that this word would really penetrate their hearts and their minds. I pray it will produce much fruit in their lives, O God, and I pray that they will have a different perspective, a new perspective of so many things that you want to disclose to us today, Father. So give them their portion in Jesus' mighty name. And I thank you, God, that you use me, this humble servant of yours. I ask you, Lord, that you would receive all of the glory, and all of the honor. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. And the church says, amen and amen. So in the garden, we have God's first dwelling place. God interacted with humanity, his creation. This is God's first dwelling place with his people, with his counsel. In fact, it was the first Temple or sanctuary, and I wish I had a little more time to explain that a little bit, but there is a lot of similarities and a lot of symbolisms that you later see in the tabernacle days as well as the temple, um, the temple structure that pertain to the Garden of Eden. Okay, it was where he met, where God met with his people, his creation. Now, as you know, when man sins, they are removed from the garden. And I've preached on this before. I've taught on this before. You might remember, you know, a lot of people think, well, God took Adam and Eve out of the garden because he hated them and he hated the sin. And and yeah, he hated the sin, he hated the fact that he didn't like the fact that they fell and uh, that they sinned against him. However, he was actually in love and His mercy and His grace took them out of the garden because the tree of life was in the garden. And the tree of life, if they would have eaten from the tree of life, they would have remained in a sinful state for the rest of their lives. And that's not what God had ordained. So, the reason that they were removed was because God could not dwell where sin resided as well. God places cherubim in the east of the garden as well. This is also reminiscent of the Holy of Holies in the temple and in the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies, God's dwelling place. And and I wish I had an opportunity here to bring you some pictures. Many of you have uh, heard a lot of uh, teachings regarding the tabernacle in our church. We've had many. Of teachings that way and so you'll remember that there was it within the actual structure itself you had the holy place where you would first enter and then you had the holy of holies which was divided by the veil okay So a place for God and people. He had commanded that the tabernacle and the temple as a place for God and people. But like the Garden of Eden, no one is in the Holy of Holies. So the Holy of Holies, that place, that one smaller uh, enclosure that, that held the Ark of the Covenant, no one could enter it, only the high priest once a year. The tabernacle, as well as the temple, had two sections within, like I just mentioned. You got the holy place. Remember, as you walk in, the holy place is where the menorah was, representing the tree of life, the the table of showbread, you see that on the opposite side, and the altar of incense where where it was placed right in front of the veil before entering into the Holy of Holies. And then you have the Holy of Holies portion where the Ark of the Covenant is laid. So these two sections, again, were divided by a veil. Now, the significance of the veil was separation. You see, there had to be a separation between the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Separation. The veil itself had cherubim engraved on the cloth just like there were cherubim placed in the garden after man's sins. Are you seeing the connections there? So when the Ark of the Covenant was moved and taken out of the Holy of Holies, it, was, it always had to be covered, signifying that God is still holy and people are sinful. Okay, there still had to be that separation, and many of many people don't know this, but the covering of the ark of the covenant was actually the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. This is what was used to cover the Ark of the Covenant whenever it was moved. So whenever they, the Israelites had to move, they would take the Ark of the Covenant, and there's, there's a lot that goes into that that I don't, I don't have time for, but it was covered. It had to be covered, and that was covered by the veil. Amen? So it was actually a symbol of that separation between God and man. It's a it's a visual indicator of something symbolic, physically, with what was actually happening spiritually. Since the Ark of the Covenant uh, was um, a place where God's presence would come down, uh, that that Ark had to be separated from the hands of sinful people. That's why it had to be covered. Okay? Now, the high priest would make atonement for his own sins so that he could enter into God's presence. That was only temporary. Okay? He would go into the Holy of Holies and then he would have to to leave. He couldn't remain there. But something changes this because it wasn't changing in the Old Testament at all. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross as the full payment for sin, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom, showing that a way was made to pass through into God's presence, into the most holy place, into the holy of holies, into God's presence. That's what Jesus did on the cross for us. He made a way. And that is why physically what was happening spiritually, what was happening in the supernatural when Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, what was happening in the supernatural realm actually manifested itself in the physical realm by the tearing of that veil from top to bottom. And I don't remember exactly right now the actual um, uh, thickness of this veil, but back in the Herod temple days, that that the thickness was so much so that it was impossible for that veil to have been torn the way that it was torn. So that is a miracle in and of itself. So what was once closed off was now open for us because Jesus died as the full payment of our sin not a temporary covering amen but a permanent one that's why the veil never tore during old testament sacrifices during old testament sacrifices the priest would go in there on the day of atonement he would go out you know between the veils that veil never tore it only tore at Jesus's finished work on the cross hallelujah so the first sacrifice for the covering of sin is found in the very beginning in Genesis when Adam and Eve sin we just read about this a moment ago God told them that if they eat of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil that they shall surely die now They died spiritually, in the sense that they were separated from God, but they should have died physically, yet they didn't. They died hundreds of years later, but something DID physically die that day. Did you catch that? Something DID physically die that day. God kills an animal and takes the covering and covers Adam and Eve. This was the first sacrifice because sin had to be covered. God puts into motion, okay, listen, God puts into motion the first sacrificial system. Why? Because he was already pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus, the spotless lamb who would be the only one who could cover and take away all of our sins once and for all. Why did God cover Adam and Eve with a tunic of skin? They weren't naked by now, right? Remember that they had already tried to cover themselves with leaves. They cut out leaves and they covered themselves. When their eyes were open after taking from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil their eyes were open and they could see that they were naked and because they could see that they were naked they took leaves to cover themselves so why does god have to cover them again first of all the covering they made for themselves was for avoiding justice and not meeting justice head on nothing died For their covering. They took leaves. So sin was not paid for. It was hidden. And the clothing that they were wearing is an example of what people can do to themselves to hide their own sin. To try or to try to receive salvation which the Bible teaches is not possible. Also, they were wearing their own works. They had to work at it for themselves. They had to cut down the leaves for themselves and cover themselves. They were doing a work for themselves. But it was not enough. God had to do the work for them and He Himself covered them with His work. Are you getting that? So again... That's the sacrifice, the first sacrificial system. So if that's the sacrifice, who's the priest? God was the priest. He was the first priest on behalf of people. Later, in the tabernacle and temple time, he explains to people how to do this on behalf of others. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the high priest. Hallelujah. It says that he is a better high priest. He is not like the high priests of the Old Testament. I want to read this to you because in the, uh, Rose Publishing of Bible Charts and Maps and Timelines, which is a beautiful book if you ever get an opportunity, To get your hands on that, I highly recommend it. It's a hardcover and it's got beautiful pictures. And it gives you a better understanding of just the Bible in general, but it'll give you a a really good understanding of the tabernacle days, the times of Moses, the times of the temple and whatnot. And it gives you a lot of information regarding the disciples. It's a really good book. It's called The Rose Publishing of Bible Charts, Maps and Timelines. I'm going to take a sip of water. <clears throat> to bring down some of that scratchiness I've got in my throat. All right. So it teaches that, and I quote here to understand the temple's purpose, it is important to know that God made the world and established the rules. God told Adam that the result of sin was death. Adam disobeyed, and sin and death and disease entered the world. In spite of this, God loved his people and had mercy. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, God provided a way to atone for sin so that people could be in His Holy Presence. God allowed the blood of a perfect animal to temporarily take the place of the sinner's life. This blood sacrifice took away sin and made the sinner right with God temporarily. We know that God loved the world so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to atone or take away sin once and for all for those who believe in Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ was the final sacrifice needed. The high priest in the Old Testament can give a thousand sacrifices in one day and never change anything. All of it was temporary. Because the next morning he had to do it all over again. So his work was never finished. It was never completed. It was never fulfilled. But what Jesus did say, what what did Jesus say? That's a question for you. What did Jesus say when he was dying on the cross? Do you all remember? He said, everybody say it together, it is finished. It is finished It is fulfilled. It is completed because he provided a new eternal atonement to sacrifice once and for all. How beautiful is that? And that's where you find people really at the end of the Bible. At the beginning, you find God and his people with no sin. And at the end, it's the same thing. So the end shall be like the beginning. In a recent table talk I had this past week, with Ryan Peterson, <clears throat> Peterson, excuse me. We actually discussed this. It was an amazing table talk. If you didn't get an opportunity to hear it, I encourage you to go back to our YouTube channel or go through our website, and you can hear it there. It was a phenomenal interview, and I appreciated Ryan's. Time so much. He is the author of two amazing books, Judgment of the Nephilim, and the second one is The Final Nephilim. And some people call it Nephilim, Nephilim, uh, what have you, but he's uh, the author of those two books. Great interview, and I appreciated his time so much. But so the book of Revelation describes the New Jerusalem. It describes God's tabernacle, God's dwelling place. It says, he shall be their God and they shall be his people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. That is the future, the new Jerusalem, the new temple, God's dwelling place once and for all with his people. This is when people will be in the new Jerusalem, the new tabernacle, the new temple, God's dwelling place, not the moving tabernacle as in the Old Testament. You see, the moving tabernacle described in the Old Testament was a copy of a copy. Moses' tabernacle was not the real thing. We know it wasn't the real thing because of what happened to it. It was was taken apart, it was moved to the temple, the temple was destroyed, and the things inside were stolen. You want to know why? Because man can destroy what man builds. Man can destroy what man builds. But the Word of God says that God is the builder of the New Jerusalem, and that's where people will spend eternity. Read the book of Revelation, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be afraid of it. It's got a wealth of information, and we need to be prepared of what's to come. Now, that's the whole story of God's plan for salvation. In a nutshell, the fulfillment of the Old Testament together with the New and thus the story of the tabernacle and temple. I could be here for hours, even days and months describing to you uh, the tabernacle, the furnishings, what they used, the materials, the colors and what it all meant together with the temple and we still wouldn't even scratch the surface of what it all entails and the picture of what it means. The tabernacle and temple were used to create a sacred space for God to dwell with man. A sacred space for God to dwell with man. And as mentioned, there was a separation. However, that separation was removed at the completion of Christ's work on the cross. Amen? Are you still with me? So where does that put you and me? Well, that's great to hear, Pastor Yvette. I, I enjoyed that mini tabernacle and temple teaching, uh, if, if that's what it even sounded to you like. It was a little teaching, I suppose. But where does that put you and me? You know, we see the imagery of tabernacle and temple throughout the New Testament when it describes, guess who, the believer in Christ, the believer in Christ. I want us to look at the following scriptures. What I'm going to do is I have them written down, but I want you to take the time to look at them, to go ahead and search. If you've got your phone as you're sitting there, if you've got your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to these scripture verses, and I want you to highlight them. I want you to underline them. And I want you to meditate on them at your leisure. But let's look at some of these scriptures. First turn to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, beginning in verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a minute to look that up while I organize my notes here. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and and 17. And it says the following, and this is from the ESV version. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Dwells in you. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are the temple. Did you catch that? God's temple is holy. And you are that temple I am that temple that is eye-opening and then for and then look at first Corinthians 6 19 through 20 it says or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit look at this word these two words within you within you whom you have from God you are not your own if you were bought for you were bought with a price so glorify god in your body glorify god in your body look at second corinthians 5 1 through 4. second corinthians 5 1 through 4 just a few pages after that since we were just in first corinthians second corinthians 5 1 through 4 says for we know that if the tent That is, our earthly home is destroyed. This is a tent. This is a temple. This is a tabernacle. This is a dwelling place. This is a house for God. Are you getting it? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting on Putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Wow! What an amazing scripture. Verses. What amazing scripture verses. Then go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18. And it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You will recall that Pastor Ricky Jr. mentioned these verses that I'm about to read last week. I'm going to read them to you again. Watch what it says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them, and will walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will become, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. A couple of other verses, Ephesians 2, take the time to look at that. Go there, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, and it says, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then finally, look at 1 Peter 2.5. 1 Peter 2.5 says, you yourselves are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer, listen to this, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that verse again. I want you to get this. First Peter 2.5 You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up, as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So now, we are God's dwelling place because of Christ's finished work on the cross, and our sacrifices to Him are that of a spiritual nature. In contrast, to animal sacrifices made from the Mosaic law. Did you catch that? Our sacrifices to God are that of a spiritual nature. You see, we don't have to kill an animal. We don't have to slay a a lamb or an ox or a bird for that matter. As believers in covenant with Christ, we are living stones, the temple of God, and a holy priesthood. That's what the Bible says of us. So the sacrifices we offer are not animals, but spiritual in nature. Number one, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You see, this is an act of spiritual worship. Now, I'll, I'll uh, give you some scripture verses to jot down. We're not going to go and read them for the sake of time, but I want you to jot them down because I want you to go ahead and study these. But Romans 12.1, so we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Listen, I don't have time to go into each and every one of these, but I will say that how are we presenting our bodies, ladies, mm-hmm. gentlemen as well? So how are we presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? You see, the sacrifices of old had to be acceptable to God. It had to be a sweet-smelling aroma for God's presence to come and take that sacrifice and say, that was acceptable to me. That was old Mosaic law. And now we are... The dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God. Therefore, our bodies, as we present them to God, have to be holy and acceptable to Him. Read Romans 12.1. Number two, the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. I, I, I hope you are understanding and grasping this. You see the language that is being used here. Sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name continually on a daily basis. Hebrews 13 15 jot that down. Number three, we also bring the sacrifice of good works. Do not forget to do good. The sacrifice of good works is a pleasing, is pleasing to God. Read that in Hebrews 13:16. And then number four the sacrifice of possessions or of our finances do not forget to share this sacrifice is also pleasing to the lord you can read that in hebrews 13:16 and number 5 the sacrifice of service of service Paul speaks of his ministry to the Gentiles as a priestly offering. You can read this in Romans 15, 16. Are you serving where you're at? Whatever church body that you attend on a regular basis that you're members of, are you serving? Are you asking your pastor, where can I serve in? I am certain that wherever you find yourself, your pastor is going to say, absolutely, we need help in this area. A sacrifice. service so number one we are we present our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God number two the sacrifice of praise number three we also bring our sacrifice of good works number four the sacrifice of possessions our finances and five the sacrifice of service again notice the language of sacrifice throughout all of these verses It's reminiscent of temple sacrifices. But now, we offer spiritual sacrifices. I hope you're kidding this. The Believer's Bible's commentary puts it this way. These sacrifices are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ, our mediator, that we can approach God in the first place. And it is only... Only He who can make our offering acceptable to God. All that we do, our worship and our service, is imperfect, flawed by sin. Watch this. But before it reaches the Father, hallelujah, before it reaches the Father, it passes through the Lord Jesus. He removes all the sin. And when it reaches God the Father, it is perfectly it is a sweet smelling aroma. Hallelujah. You see all the things that Jesus does for us? Glory to God. So, again, what was once a movable tent, the tabernacle, where the presence of God would visit with mankind, and the elaborate temple structure made by Solomon, now, now, in this 21st century that we live in, now God uses individuals like you and I to dwell in, to dwell in, and to be one with Him. We are His new dwelling place. We are one with the Father. And I really want you to get this, ladies and gentlemen. We, uh, g- Jesus Himself gives this, Or uses this imagery of oneness with the Father. You can read it in chapters 14 and 15 and also 17 in the book of John. He uses this imagery of oneness that is so beautiful. The one, the one who stepped out of eternity and came to dwell among us now lives within us. We are moving temples here on earth representing his majesty representing his grace representing his goodness and his love we are his dwelling place and if we are his dwelling place now then that means that his presence (laughs) glory to God his power his might His peace, His love, His favor, His mercy, His forgiveness, His character traits. Are you hearing me this morning? Flows in us and through us. I don't want you to miss this. God, the creator of it all, chose to dwell in us. In vessels that are broken like you and me. Albeit sinful in nature, we are His abode, we are His house, we are His tabernacle, we are His dwelling place. Glory to God. How awesome is this? That despite our flaws, despite our shortcomings and our sins, like I spoke about a few Sundays ago, He still chooses to dwell in us and that should be a humbling thought Although we may know that in our minds we may read it in Scripture and we may flippantly Talk about it or even discuss it or even read it in in Scripture But I I want us to really get to know this and understand this in our hearts We know it in our minds but get it in our hearts. It should change our whole perspective on everything. Who He is and who we are in Him. How we should live, how we should act, how we ought to think, how we should treat others, and how we should walk in perfect union with the Father. For those of you that are at our church, will you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. I want to give our audience and those of you that are in church, perhaps you've never had the opportunity or never decided to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you haven't had a time where you have actually said, I need Jesus in my life. I need him as my master and I need to give my life to him. And I'm gonna give you that opportunity this morning. I, I pray that throughout this entire message, this was clear. The plan of salvation was from the very beginning. And so I pray that it was presented to you in a way where you are in a place today where you can say, that's what I want. I need Jesus. So if that's you this morning, Can you pray this prayer out loud and just believe it in your heart as you pray it and say, Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning, sinful and empty, but I offer myself to you as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you as I receive you into my heart today. Forgive me of my sins. And help me to walk the way that you want me to walk. Holy Spirit, I ask you to give me wisdom. To give me understanding of the Word of God. And I promise, Lord, to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen and amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, welcome into the family of God. I would ask you to reach out to us and let us know that you gave your heart and your life to Jesus. If you find yourself in the Miami-Dade County area, even the Broward area, come and visit us at Word of Faith Global Ministries in the city of Miami Springs. Visit us in our website and you'll find all our information there at wordoffaithglobal.org. Allow me to pray for you this morning as you Dwell on this message. Maybe it's a good opportunity for you to take a listen to this later on and just dwell on the scripture verses that I brought this morning so that we can better understand that God dwells in us. He's here. And it's something that is very difficult to grasp our minds in. That Almighty God chose us to dwell in and for His presence to be in us, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It is a supernatural thing that honestly in our natural minds we can't understand it, but we gotta believe it. And it should affect the way that we walk and that we live in this life. I hope that ministers to you this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this message has re- received, people have received this message and that it has been revelatory for each and every person. I pray, oh God, that as the seed of your word has fallen into their hearts, it would produce much fruit. In Jesus' precious name, I pray a blessing over every single person, their families, their homes, their health, their careers, their finances, and every, everything that they set out to do. But most importantly, oh God, I pray that you'll use them in a mighty and powerful way, that they would bring honor and glory to your name in everything that they do throughout their lifetime. It's in Jesus' mighty name that I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for visiting our church. And don't miss next Sunday. We'll be in town. We'll see you then. God bless you. See you soon.